in a remarkable letter he writes to E.T. Sturdy, who was his very dear English disciple, although he understood later on very little about what Swamiji said. He writes, it's a, a beautiful sentence I have remembered for a long time. You see, to put Hindu ideas into English and to make out of dry philosophy, intricate mythology, and queer startling psychology, a religion which shall be simple, easy, popular, at the same time, meeting the requirements of the highest minds is a task only those can understand who have attempted it. The dry, abstract Advaita should become living and poetic in everyday life. Out of intricate mythology should come concrete moral forms. Out of bewildering yogism must come the most practical and scientific psychology. And all this must be put in a form so that even a child may be able to grasp it. That is my life's task. This is Swamiji's language. On the same day, he writes to Alasinga Perumal, talking about the Westerners, I want to give them hard, dry reason, soaked in the sweetest syrup of love, made spicy with work, and cooked in the kitchen of yoga, so that even a baby may be able to digest it. <laughs> and he was struggling very hard, once again, fighting all kinds of odds. Now things are relatively easier because Indian thought has spread. People know there are some dissident groups who want to become notorious in trying to become famous by challenging things which are well accepted. You become very famous when you write against somebody who is very, very famous. So everybody takes note. Those groups are very little, but Swami Vivekananda had an unenvious task of having to fight people who were at the helm of affairs. The British, we were a slave nation and the World Parliament of Religions were called in Chicago to prove the superiority of the Christian religion over all other religions. As God willed it, it was just the opposite. When Swami Vivekananda spoke this memorable words, just a three-minute lecture, he became a celebrity overnight. Just the previous day he was sitting in the streets of Chicago, the next day he was a celebrity. We, in the university, which is in the hallowed name of Swami Vivekananda, when we got A++ in the accreditation by NAC, National Assessment and Accreditation Council, with 3.66 out of 4 cumulative grade point average. There's a huge commotion at Delhi and elsewhere. Which is this university? Where did they come up? They are almost at par with Indian Institute of Science, which is 120 years old. And then they said, somebody was very angry, many people extremely upset. Which is this university? How did they achieve this? Then they said, Swami Vivekananda was in the streets of Chicago the previous day. The next day he was a celebrity. That's how Vivekananda <laughs> appears on the world scene. So why I mention this is because Swami Vivekananda was divinely chosen, we believe this, like Shankara. And we have, would not have believed the various details of Shankara's life if we had not seen Swami Vivekananda. At the age of 39, to be able to accomplish so much, and beginning his work 
just the age, the age of 30, 29 plus, when he went to Chicago, and winding up when he was just 38, and died at the age of 39. In about eight, nine years, he accomplished so much what the world has not been able to unpackage even now. There's a beautiful thesis by one uh, uh, lady at a university in Netherlands or somewhere, where she said, the gift unopened. Vivekananda is a gift by God to the world, which the world has not been able to open and understand so far. He himself said, the last day of his life, looking at himself, like the Ashtavakra who says, Oh, 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 namo mukhyam, namo mukhyam, this is a statement. Oh, what wonderful I am, I am bowing down to myself. When you realize the glory of your own divine self, Shankara repeatedly told us to realize, Aham rikshasya reriva, kirti prishtam gireriva, urdhvapavitro vajaneva swamrtamasmi. Oh, how glorious I am. I am like the huge mountain of infinite spiritual glory. When we realize our own, we said, we look at ourselves, oh, what a wonder I am. Swami Vivekananda said, if there had been another Vivekananda, he would know what this Vivekananda has done. And he added later, but in future, how many Vivekanandas could come? He always believed that the tradition of saints and sages and scholars and extraordinary avatars in, this, in India will never cease. Quoting from Bhavabhuti, he used to say, in future, how many great people will come who will be like me? And he added, who will be to understand me? These people are very less understood. After 1200 years, we are thinking of Shankaracharya, talking about him, discussing him, and understanding very little of what the contribution which he did. So the oneness concept is not new to the world. You, you also mentioned the uh, globalization. Globalize means that which is not global is later made global. In Sanskrit, technically, it's called chvi pritya, abhuta tadbhave chvi. Bhasmi bhuta, that which is not bhasma is made bhasma, that's called bhasmi bhuta. Globalize means the eyes pritya, that which was not global is now made global. But in India we believed, that's the difference between the Western thought and Indian thought, it was global all the time, it was not globalized, but we did not realize out of Ajnana. This is the fundamental teaching of Shankara. Shankara said, you don't have to do anything. It was also a ritual that mentioned, I remember an interesting story in the life of that great Acharya, Chandrasekhar in the Bharati of the uh, Sringeri tradition. And he was an extraordinary saint, as you all know. And a gentleman came to him and said, you are an Advaita Acharya? Yes. Upholding the tradition of Shankara? Yes. But from the morning I see you engaged in rituals and doing worship of Saradamba. He said, yes. How do you reconcile? Then he smiled and said, to be an Advaita Acharya, what do you think I should do? That man could, oh, well, uh, Anything that you do is not Advaita. Because Advaita is not something to do, but just be. Ramana Maharshi repeatedly we say, just to be. Shumma just, just to be is something which is extraordinary. Suppose you are asked, what should I do? Nothing. Swami Vivekananda was confronted by an American gentleman who were always doers. They should do something all the time. 
Why they don't understand Vedanta is because they should be doing something. Now they are doing yoga because there's something to do. Sit up straight. 20 times you roll and then you breathe. Ah, they know. Vedanta says, what should I do? Nothing. Be. <laughs> then they ask, what should I do to be? What should I do to be? <laughs> so I have, the, Vedanta has a problem there. Why Vedanta, the Western mind doesn't uh, unable to take it? Because excessively rajasic and therefore they should be doing something all the time. So Vedanta says, just you be. One gentleman came in America to Swami Vivekananda and said, Swamiji, what are we supposed to do? Swami said, nothing. Then after pause, he said, if you can't really do it, do some good to society. <laughs> if you can't really do nothing, do some good to society. Because doing nothing is the most difficult thing to do. That means you have nothing to achieve, you have nothing to do. So I was thinking, why sannyasins are supposed to be beyond all castes? They are neither Brahmanas, nor Kshatriyas, nor Vaishyas or Shudras. I was wondering what is the uh, uh, scientific basis behind this, conceptually. Then I thought, Brahmins are those who want to know, Kshatriyas are those who want to achieve, Vaishyas are those who want to accumulate and disperse, and Shudras are those who want to do. A sannyasin has nothing to know, Nothing to achieve, nothing to accumulate and disperse, and nothing to do. You are that infinite self. Then, nothing. Full stop, period. That's it. So Shankara says, to be able to realize that your infinite self, there is a great obstacle which is called Ajnana. This, the whole problem in Advaita Vedanta is the little word called Ajnana, whose nature we do not know. Not knowing is Ajnana and not knowing the nature of not knowing is another problem. So a lot of polemics has gone into this. Revered Swami Tapasyananda who mentored me for 12 years, he was the vice president of our order and he was the president of the Adhyaksha of the Madras Mat. He once said very funnily, the problem why Shankara's Advaita Vedanta got stuck up is because later Advaitins post-Shankarite Advaitins spent enormous energy and wrote volumes on Ajnana rather than Brahman itself. Ajnana became more important than Brahman. Shankara was not interested in anything else except Brahman. We should clearly understand this. Shankara was a, such a compassionate Acharya as most Acharyas are. He was crying, he was bleeding how humankind in such misery you are that infinite self, Nitya Shuddha Mukta Jnana Swarupa, but you are crying, I have a backache, I have a toothache, this man is my enemy, this doesn't like me. Are you not ashamed? Wake up, wake up. His main call, call was wake up. Vivekananda also once said, I only preach, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Uttishthata Jagrata Prapyavaran Nibodhata. De Shankara in the Bhasha, he says, the Vedas and Upanishads and Shruti teaches you, iti shruti hi anukampaya aha matravat. Like a kind mother, Shruti says, oh boy, please wake up. Why are you ignorant? You have the infinite power within you. Don't sleep. Awake from this ignorance. Ana anadi avidya. This avidya is something very funny. It has no beginning, anadi, 
but it ends. How can something which has no beginning can have an ending? One uh, living philosopher, Professor J. N. Mohanty, gave us a very funny example, very worldly example. Do you know French? No. Do you know Spanish? No. From when you did not know French? Tell me. From when you did not know Spanish? Anadi. But the moment you learn French and Spanish, ignorance of Spanish and Spanish, they vanishes. So, anadi avidya, but it has anta. So, so, ajnana, what is ajnana is something undefined. And in trying to define ajnana and then the various ramifications of ajnana, volumes have been written post-Shankara. That was because Ramanuja and other acharyas came and had, had, had attacked this ajnana. All of you know, I don't, uh, I'm carrying coal to Newcastle. Ramanuja's main objection against the Dvaita was, you talk about Ajnana, where is Ajnana? What is the locus of Ajnana? Is it in the Jiva or is it in Brahman? It can't be in Brahman because Brahman is Swarupa. It can't be in the Jiva because Jiva is a product of Ajnana. Just like a child went to the parents and said, Mother, you didn't call me during your marriage. <laughs> the child is a product of the marriage. So the Jiva is a product of Ajnana. How can Ajnana reside in the Jiva? Then Ramanuja says, tell me, where is Ajnana? So, in order to answer these questions, all the post-Shankarite Advaitins started writing about Ajnana most of the time, leaving Brahman alone. Brahman is weeping in a corner, and then people are worried about Ajnana. <laughs> you should remember, Shankara's Advaita, Vedanta, is completely Brahmavada, not Mayavada. This has been misrepresented on purpose by the Westerners. Westerners said, oh, everything is Maya. They would understand neither Maya nor Brahman. That's another problem. Shankara was not interested in Maya at all. Shankara said, the world as you see it is actually a form of Brahman, provided you have the Brahma Drishti. Drishtim Jnanamayim Kritva Pashyed Brahmamayam Jagat. If the, Ramana Marsha was very fond of this statement. If your Drishti, if your vision is Brahmamaya, then you will see everything is only Brahman. And your drishti you have to change and not concentrate upon how the world come in. He did not, not interested at all. About the srishti, Shankara had no interest. How did the world come about? How is there multiplicity? If there's only one existing, how do you explain there are many? This has been an eternal philosophical question. Is the one real or the many real? Or if the many is real, how can the one be called eternal? Scientifically put, I'll borrow a little bit from physics also. Why the concept of oneness is important? The human mind always seeks oneness. You can't ask why. Everywhere the whole quest in science, as Vivekananda said, has been the quest for unity. Everywhere people want is that, what is that one? There are three fundamental principles on which the entire foundation of science and the development of science over centuries is based. One, the classification principle. Two, the generalization principle. And three, the unification principle. Human mind wants to classify, put everything in, in classes. The most famous example in school physics and chemistry we have studied, the periodic table of elements. When more than 100 elements came to be discovered, 
people thought there should be some classification. It can't be at random. The idea being, nature or God is not playing randomly. There is a definite purpose, there is a system. So we classify the elements into periods and groups according to their properties. There are different ways of classification. Several particles came to be discovered, elementary particles for example. Then they said you classify them. Several ways you can classify. You can classify them according to the interactions, weakly interacting leptons and strongly interacting hadrons, or you can classify them according to the masses, or you can classify them in according to the kind of statistics which they obeyed, and they said half integral spin particles and integral spin particles, fermions and bosons and so on. Whatever we be the ways of classification, human mind always wants to classify. And our ancient sages were master classifiers. I used to talk to the, our students. Are you in sorrow? Are you in sorrow? Some kind of sorrow. Is there anybody without sorrow? No. Buddha said that. How many kinds of sorrows are possible? There's oh, innumerable kind of sorrows. Can I classify them? Our, the genius of our ancients what classify sorrow. Adhyatmika, adibhautika, adhidaivika. You can't find any other class beyond this. Even sorrows can be classified. How many things people need? I used to ask my students, what do you need in life? Oh, so many things I need. The latest is the latest Android phone this fellow has, I don't have. I need that. How many kinds of seeking is there in the human mind? Can you classify them? Yes. Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha. All that a human mind seeks is called Purushartha. Purushena Arthita Purushartha. Anything which is sought by a human being is called a Purushartha. You seek only these four. Can, can you find anything else beyond this? No. Kama is necessary, is a natural thing, as Freud said. It comes from Sankalpa. We discovered it comes from Sankalpa. Sankalpa, Prabhavan, Kama, Stektva, Sarvan, Seshataha. And we have the masterly treatment of Vedanta, which is called the Bhagavad Gita. So I always tell my students, read that one book, which is the Sara essence of all the Upanishads, and then try to penetrate in the Upanishads, then you will understand what Shankara has done. The authentic commentaries of the various Upanishads which Shankara has gave, which are the, even now, every line is being studied with so much of attention and respect after 1200 years, because the tremendous insight which he gave into all of them, and it's not intellectual. The passion which he brought to bear upon this. Entreating man, in one place he says, Matrapudra Sahasrebhyo Paramahitaishana Vedena Upadishnam Nupekshitavyam. Thousand fathers and thousand mothers, all put together so much of compassion. We have the Vedas and the Upanishads, the Shruti says, please realize yourself, don't be in sorrow, do not neglect this teaching. He came with tremendous compassion to give mankind and Nowadays we talk about poverty alleviation, sustainable development goals and so on. You know what is the first task which Sankara accomplished? Not Advaita, not Vedanta. Alleviation of poverty. You remember this touching story of an old widow who was so poor, this young boy coming and standing, a young child with the Upavitam and then asking for Bhiksha. The, the woman was crying, oh my child, as if Lord Shankara himself has come as if Surya Kodi, uh, Surya Prakasha. Then, I don't have anything to give you. What should I give you? 
Then he brought over an amalekhi, which was also slightly rotten, put it there. Shankara's heart melted with so much of sorrow and grief and compassion. And the famous Angam Harehe Pulagabhushana Masrayanti, etc. But the 19th verse, it has 21 verses. The 19th verse was uttered. Then was a reign of golden Amalekis. So Shankara's first task in the earth was removal of poverty. So look at the span of his work. He said everybody should be full of uh, uh, wealth and prosperity also. Our religion, the Hindu religion and the Vedic religion wants that people should live happily full of prosperity. You look at our rishis, they are well built. They could eat well and digest well. <laughs> the yogis later on become so thin and lean. But the Vedantis, Vedantis are always full of joy. They eat and digest well. And the Taitri Upanishad, the Brahmananda Valley. Brahma Vida Apno Tiparam Tadesha Bhukta Satyam Gyanam Anantam Brahma. The highest teaching ends by saying, What does he get? Mahan Bhavati Prajaya Pashubhir Brahma Varchasena Mahan Kirtya. You will get everything in this world and the next world. Don't neglect this world because it's also a manifestation of the same Brahman. So this world is not neglected. So mischievously, some kind of propaganda, mainly the Westerners did, that they call everything as Maya and therefore they are in this miserable position. Therefore, this idea of classification of various things, then later on came the idea of generalization. This also Swami Vivekananda talked about this. The particular has to be referred to the general, general to the more general, and the more general to the most general, which is universal. He gives the example of the apple falling, which was observed by Newton. Newton did not think of this an isolated phenomenon. He said, can this be generalized to see that all apples are falling? Of course. All mangoes are falling? Yes. All objects are falling? Then there should be a fundamental universal law of gravitation which makes this possible. The science grows through generalization. How did uh, the... Um, uh, the various laws of physics and chemistry and science come up. Because you go on generalizing and finding out, find out, is this that you generalize to seek a particular law of which all the various phenomena could be thought of as specific cases. Then comes the idea of unification, which is related to generalization. Human mind always seeks unity. Can you find that one law by which everything can be subsumed. Salam and Weinberg, when they got the Nobel Prize for uh, finding out how the unification of forces can take place. Four fundamental laws of nature, the electromagnetic force, the weak force, strong force, the gravitational force. So he said, are these forces completely different? Or can these forces be thought of as manifestations of one single force? They could unify three, Gravitation is still eluding us. Then somebody came up and said, gravitation also we should solve this problem. Nature cannot have two different sets of laws for the microcosm and the macrocosm. Shankara's whole theory is based on the Atma Brahma Aikya we talk about. Atman is the microcosm and the Brahman is the macrocosm. And the unified whole, which is the micro, macro, Atma Brahma Aikya, that entity is one. This is Shankara's position. 
And this is the fundamental principle on which the whole of science is based. The micro-macro equation, and most of the discoveries in physics have been based on the idea that the microcosm and the macrocosm are built on the same plan, and they are one. One simple example is Rutherford's discovery of the atomic structure. You know, the nucleus was discovered by Rutherford, a core which is positive, and the electrons also came to be discovered by Thomson before that. Now, how were the electrons distributed? This is not clear. Then my guess is Rutherford must have been looking at the window, sipping his lazy tea, and then saw the sun rising and said, ah, oh, that's it. Just like the planets are moving around the sun, these electrons should be moving around the nucleus. How could they get that? God is an infinite wisdom. In the macrocosm, when they did, there's sun at the center and the planets moving around. He should, have ma he should make the nucleus at the center and the electrons moving around. It's a copy from the macrocosm to the micro and project from the micro to the macro. The micro-macro reversible reaction, which is called the dynamic equilibrium in science, is the fundamental basis on which Shankara based this idea of Atma Brahma Ekya. The Atman, which you think you are an individual, and the Brahman, which is the cosmic consciousness, they are the one. Now the question is, in sadhana of Advaita, many people ask the question, I realize myself as the Atman, isn't it enough? Why should you go for Atma Brahma Ikya? Even Bhagavan Ramana Marshi emphasizes the Atman and he doesn't speak much about the Brahman. I had this doubt long ago and until I read the Mandika Parishad Bhashya of Shankara in which he says, all of you know this verse, he talks about the uh, Jagras Avastha. He says, Saptanga Yekona Bhimshadimukha Sthulabhuk Vaishvanara Prathamapada The Atman which is Chatushpada the first pada is Vaishwanara, second pada is Taijasa, third pada is Pragya, and the fourth is Turiya. That we know. Now, how do you say, equate this Sthula book, which is the Vaishwanara, and suddenly you say, this is Saptanga Ekona Bhimshadimukha, which is macrocosmic, the Surya and the uh, Akasha and all that. There, Shankara says, that is because the individual waking entity, which is the I, the sthula book, which is called the Vaishwanara, has to be equated with the Virat. Unless you know this, your realization will be the Sankhyan realization of Prakriti coming away, and you will not have a cosmic perspective. The globalization which came, you are global, you are infinite. In reality, you are not small. But you come to think of yourself as small. So this is to give you an idea of the oneness of the microcosm and the macrocosm, the Vaishwanara with Virat, Taijasa with Hiranyagarbha, and Pragya with Ishvara, and Atman with Brahman. So Shankara's genius was to derive this at three levels. Swami Vivekananda later on revived this idea, brought it out from the Upanishads and Shankara, and then made it a vibrant, practical, doable exercise in the modern times. In the famous paper which you read on Hinduism at Chicago on the 11th September or 13th September to 1893, Swami Vivekananda speaks about three kinds of monism. He talks about the materialistic monism and the philosophical monism and the spiritual monism. Even at the material level we are one. 
This was vindicated and proved later on, 1915, by Albert Einstein in his general theory of relativity, which is based upon a philosophical principle due to Mack, he was a German philosopher, in which he said, the entire world is one ocean of matter. Your body, my body, all of them are only some kind of whirlpools in this infinite ocean of matter. As we say funnily, explaining this concept, if you lift a little finger, you disturb a star out there. Because the whole thing is interconnected as one ocean of matter. We can realize this more and more now in this world of internet. I sent a message to you now. It doesn't reach you straight away, it goes to the server. So the server in which everything goes and the server gives it. The Hiranyagarbha is the, co the conscious version of the cosmic server. So I tell my students, it's very easy. So all that you need to do is to stay connected with Hiranyagarbha. Then you'll be able to send signals to anybody at any time and you'll be able to receive signals. When we are speaking, we are uploading all this thought to Hiranyagarbha, the cosmic mind, and anybody can download from wherever they are. And therefore, these ideas are not new. These ideas have been existing in the Hiranyagarbha since eternity, and therefore the Upanishads say, the Hiranyagarbha in the initially said, Eko hom bhagusyam, let me become many. With this sankalpa, everything began. And then everything go back. Brahma devanam prathamasam bhavuva Upanishad. This Brahma here is Hiranyagarbha. So the Hiranyagarbha is the cosmic mind to which you should get connected. This connection comes from the Yuju Dhatu with Ghai Pratyaya is called Yoga. Yuju Dhatu with Ktin Pratyaya is called Yukti. Yukta Pratyaya is Yukta. The Bhagavad Gita has innumerable times it says Yukta, Satata Yukta, Nitya Yukta, Yukta Tama. That means be connected with God somehow or other. Everybody will ask the moment, is there Wi-Fi connectivity here? First of all, ask whether you have connected to God and then to be able to connect it and use the Wi-Fi, you need the password. And the password is called the mantra. Many of the students ask me, why should mantra be secret? Hinduism, too much of secrecy. They give me your password. No, no, I will not give it. <laughs> so why, what is so secret about your password? The husband will not share the password with the wife and vice versa. Password is mine. I will not give it to anybody. I can connect it to Hiranyagarbha. So this mantra is the password. In your, and mantra shastra is a huge area. In, the, in Hindu religion, all this included Vedanta. Don't think Vedanta is only, only thinking of I am Brahman. All the rituals and mantra and tantra, everything has a place in Vedanta. Because Swami, he made it so broad-based. And look at Shankara's genius. He taught about this, philosophically proved it, and he argued with all those who are not believers in this philosophy of oneness, and they were defeated philosophically at the level of thought, and about Buddhism there is a talk, how Buddhism is taking up in the West. I was finally thinking, we should blame Shankara for it. Why? He threw away the Buddhistic thought. He drove away Buddhism from India with such a vengeance, and they had to be like refugees take asylum elsewhere, and for a thousand years they are growing slowly. And Indian thought, Vedantic thought was never allowed to go, because unfortunately, Kalapani, you cannot cross the ocean. When Vivekananda came back, he was not allowed to enter the Kali temple because he crossed the oceans. So now, 
this is moving only 100 years wait for a couple of more 100 years and you will see that vedanta will sweep the world there is no other way swamiji predicted vedanta will be advaita vedanta oneness will be the future philosophy and religion of rational thinking humanity because because it is based on solid principles of science einstein has proved materialistically we are one and psychology has proved that psychologically mentally we are one and spiritually we proved long ago that we are one and the atma brahma ikya which is the essence of called the mahavakyas we do not know exactly who gave the name mahavakya shankara never mentioned mahavakya anywhere in the matamnaya somewhere it is mentioned mahavakya atma brahma ikya simply means the microcosm and the macrocosm are one i am one with the infinite universe this is this can be applied at the physical level at the mental level and the spiritual level the three levels in which you apply relationships will change vivekananda said if i think of myself as the atman and the spirit think of all of you as the atman and the spirit soul will interact with the soul atman will interact with atman the interatmic interaction the entire relationship will be transformed international relations will be transformed national relations will be transformed provided we have a vedantic civilization which is emerging vivekananda talked about this we need a vedantic civilization the vedantic civilization nobody will think of oneself as a body which is as a soul in a body i am the fundamentally a soul and the, all the body etc will come as a secondary entity because the matter is existing it has a secondary existence consciousness is fundamental as ramana maharshi would say the world does not come and tell you i exist but i tell the world you fellow you exist and therefore relationship will change in the social dimension there will be harmony and peace people have blamed advaita by being too much negative everything neti 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 avare namandika gari mandika parishad for example the famous statement about the turiya nanta pragyam na bahi pragyam na ubhayata pragyam na pragyana ganam na pragyam na pragyam adrishtam abhyavaharyam agrahyam malakshanam machintyam abhyapadesham ekatma prityesaram prapancho vishamam shantam shivam advaitam jadurtham banyante sa atma savigyeha everything is a a a negative only two places shantam shivam i pick up these two and say that advaita alone will bring peace because upashantoyam atma atma definition is shanti and shivam the most vital it will bring all round welfare of everybody the ultimate aim of advaita vedanta is sarva bhuta hiterataha the bhagavad gita for example fifth chapter 24 and 25 yo an antararama antarjyotireva sah ha yo antasto antaratma antarjyotireva sayogi brahma nirvanam brahma bhuto digachati labhante brahma nirvanam rishaya shina kalmashah shunnadvaida yatatmanah sarva bhuta hiterataah an advaiti is not a stony person who lives in his advaitic moods he is infinite compassion look at ramana maharshi look at even shankara himself who we have not seen unfortunately 
but he is living amongst us even now through his thoughts. Take any Advaitan worth his name, he is full of compassion and then he takes the whole being, all the entire world into his heart. He is intensely loving. Bhakti and Jnana Shankara never made any distinction. Saguna Brahman, if you are devoted, is called Bhakti, Nirguna Brahman is called Jnana. Shankara never made any distinction Bhakti and Jnana. There are only two parts, path of karma and path of Jnana or Bhakti. ಲೋಕೇತಂಚರಂತಹ just like he brought golden <laughs> does wealth to that poor lady that uh, uh, extremely poor uh, impoverished lady old lady he brings everything to everybody he is mangala full of the shiva shantam shivam so knowledge unless it brings happiness and joy it has no knowledge at all that's why bhut jayana pravaditavyam kushalanna pramaditavyam kushala and bhuti we need not talk about welfare welfare state and we talk about the uh, goodness and so on and the famous shlokas with which i end in the bhagavad gita in the fifth chapter he says yo maam pashyati sarvatra sarvam chamai pashyati tasya ham na pranashyami jame na pranashyati sarva bhuta sthitam yo maam bhajat ekatvam astita look at the language sarvabhutasthitam yo maam i the infinite lord residing in all beings yo bhajati a person worships how ekatvam asthitah how advaita vedanta is practicable even in the sense of worship when advaita vedanta worships god he thinks of god not as separate from himself in the puja paddhati of ramkrishna mission and tantra also you will see i devo bhutva devam ejet you become a devata feel yourself with the infinite lord and then you worship the lord ekatvam asthita sarvatha vartamanopi sayogi mai vartate then atmopamena sarvatra samam pashyati yorjuna sukham va yadi va dukham sayogi paramo matah who is the supreme yogi and the supreme gyani atmopamena sarvatra yomam pashyati a person who thinks of everybody as his own self interpret christ's teaching love their neighbor as thyself he says thyself we say thy self with the capital s because a person who loves anybody he can't love except yourself nava are patyukkamaya patipriyo bhavat atmanastukamaya patipriyo bhavati nava are jayaye kamaya jaya priya bhavat atmanastu kamaya jaya priya bhavati nava are sarvasya kamaya sarvam priyam bhavati ಆತ್ಮನಸ್ತು ಕಾಮಾಯ ಸರ್ವಂ ಪ್ರಿಯಂತಿ ಆತ್ಮ ವರೆ ದ್ರಷ್ಟವ್ಯ ಶ್ರೋತವ್ಯೋ ಮಂತವ್ಯೋ ನಿಧಿಧ್ಯಾಸಿತವ್ಯ ಯಾಜ್ಞವಲ್ ಗಾಟ್ ಮೈತ್ರಿ ಓ ಮೈತ್ರಿ ಇಸ್ ಓನ್ಲಿ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ಲವ್ ಯುವರ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಯು ಲವ್ ಎವ್ರಿಬಡಿ ಎಲ್ಸ್ ದ ಪ್ರಿಯತ್ವ ದಿ ಲವ್ ನೇಚರ್ ಆಫ್ ಎವ್ರಿ ಹಾರ್ಟ್ ಹ್ಯೂಮನ್ ಹಾರ್ಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಬೇಸ್ಡ್ ಆನ್ ದ ಪ್ರಿನ್ಸಿಪಲ್ ದಟ್ ಯು ಆರ್ ದಟ್ ಇನ್ಫಿನಿಟ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಹೌ ದೀಸ್ ಐಡಿಯಾಸ್ ಕಮ್ ಟುಗೆದರ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಯು ಬಿಕಮ್ ಅ ಕಂಪ್ಲೀಟ್ ಹ್ಯೂಮನ್ ಬೀಯಿಂಗ್ you love everybody like your own self this is called the golden rule in the bible in all the religions i'll just end with a small anecdote from swami vivekananda's life to tell you 
how this advaita can be practiced in everyday life how swamiji changed and transformed the lives of people there was an emma calve in paris she was a extraordinary opera singer and an artist in uh, paris as most of the celebrities are she was very depressed extremely frustrated she almost contemplated ending her life somebody said there's a great yogi in in uh, paris you go and meet him she came entered swami vivekananda's study room he was writing something even without looking up he said oh what a terrible atmosphere you have brought with you my child a storm is raging in you calm down calm down she came and sat swami ji looked at her in the eyes and spoke about some of the secrets which she had not shared with anybody she was flabbergasted frightened swami how did you know all this did anybody talk to you about me vivekananda smiled and said is it necessary i can read you like an open book then swami vivekananda gave her a great advaitic impulse remember vivekananda believed that every problem can be solved through advaita vedanta don't think it is only for sanyasis sitting in the forests and uh, having long beards but everybody can apply it wherever he or she is he gave that advaitic impulse to the uninitiated lady emma calve and that the power of his words was so much that simply went on transforming her she almost was in the verge of getting samadhi she said swami what are you doing to me i am losing something i can't bear this swami vekanda said you westerners are so terribly afraid of losing your individuality you used to make fun of them you are not individual that you shall be when you become universal then he told them a told her a story with which i end this wonderful conference as a fitting finale a water drop was falling into the ocean the drop was crying profusely the ocean said why are you crying my child oh i am going to lose my individuality as the drop the ocean said you are not losing your individuality my child you are regaining your individuality as the ocean look at this center you were the ocean you were me and somehow you went up through the sun's rays and you are coming back to join your billions and trillions of brothers and sisters who are drops like you come to my bosom and remember you are that infinite self tatvamasi